Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Animation Communication. Uh, no news this time. Um, we're going to get straight to the interview. So I hope you guys enjoy. It's a really good one. And um, hopefully you learn not only about Avatar, but some other properties that have been floating around the animation cosmos in the last couple of years. And uh, Giancarlo is a super sweet dude. So please enjoy. Yeah. So please go to the usual places if you like it, comment or whatever. Enjoy the episode. Okay, thanks for joining us for the news. Now, probably to get to the thing that most people want to hear about. We, <laughs> there wasn't really a lot of news anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why don't, our, our guests, why don't you introduce yourself? Talk about like a, like a very broad strokes, like, you know, um, things that you've done in the industry. And um, I guess I'll take it from there. So. Hello, I'm Giancarlo Volpe, and I am an animation uh, veteran, I guess is what they might call it. Person. I've animated, I've directed, etc. show ran. Um, you're probably most familiar with Avatar The Last Airbender. I also worked on King of the Hill. Um, I show ran Green Lantern, the animated series, and was executive producer on The Dragon Prince, mm. among a few other things that I can also talk about, if you <laughs> <laughs> so please. Yeah, you have quite the resume, like, um, <laughs> and luckily you're, you're, you're very nice too, so it's always intimidating <laughs> for us to be like, oh god, it's like, ah, it's an EP, oh, I hope he likes us. <laughs> so, you know. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm glad that it, that 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 is at least my perceived, you know, uh, uh, personality. <laughs> perceived I'm, I'm nice is, a, is an interesting word. Because <laughs> at the at the end of the day, I still sort of just feel like that geeky kid that would hang out in the comic book section at the bookstore or whatever, and I've just managed to turn it into a career. And, and so I, I, you know, I I I forget that I I might. It, I'm supposed to be like highfalutin or something. <laughs> it's like, like oh, don't yeah, you yeah. know who I am? Kind I of make thing. TV shows or something. <laughs> I do things. Yeah, I mean, that's something I've felt like too. And, and Lauren, I'm sure you can jump in because like mm-hmm. we have the same brain length. But like, you know, like as you get, like as I've gotten older, it's just like, you know, you just kind of learn more about the thing that you already were learning about a lot anyway. And then like, eventually you weed yourself into doing producing your own stuff one way or the other but like nothing really changes and then you go to conventions and be like oh it's the thing that i like i like that too and you still geek out even though you're there for another reason and it's it's an interesting um contrast but you know that's that's the biggest thing is i think i've matured emotionally but like yeah poor kp has been the same yeah (laughs) it's really true like um i I sometimes see like people online arguing about um doing like fanfic or fan art and if that's valid and the reality is almost i mean i almost can't think of anyone who has not done that in the in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's kind of how it starts you're a little kid and it's and you're copying 
whatever cartoon you were watching at the time. And you might have even traced, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no shame in that. <laughs> or even prior to that, you were using coloring books. And mm-hmm. you just kind of keep adding challenges to it where it's like, well, what if I don't trace? What if I um, come up with a character myself instead of... Um, you know, copy someone else's. And then suddenly you're about the right age where you need a job and you have the skill set. And you're like, I can come up with characters out of the blue. Is is that valuable? And, you know, hopefully a studio or, you know, whatever corporation or business says, yes, we need someone who can do that. And then, and, and it just sort of feels like the next chapter of a thing you've been doing your entire life. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good way. So, like, let's start on that. So how did you um, get into the Animotions and, like, what was your personal, <laughs> I guess, artistic journey, if we want to be super meta about it? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that succinctly because I don't want to get it too far. It was a, a brisk summer eve in <laughs> <laughs> But the, the the broad strokes of it is have been drawing my whole life. Like I literally cannot remember a time when I wasn't drawing. So mm-hmm. it's as though, you know, I came out of the womb with a crayon, <laughs> but yeah. you know, obviously not literally. I remember some pivotal moments in my childhood Childhood was I had a second grade teacher who noticed I could draw really well, you know, at the time. And said that if I could finish my work on time, I could work on um, storybooks while mm-hmm. I waited for the rest of the class to finish their work. <laughs> and it was this very valuable kind of lesson where like, all right, take care of your the grunt work that you don't want to do. And then the reward is you can draw pictures. <laughs> and so um, I amassed all of these storybooks from doing that. Like I, I have like 20 or 30 of them that I did wow. in like the second grade. And it, it really trained me to make my own comics, which my brother and I did for for a, a while where we would um, take like copy writing paper or, or, or I guess what do you call it? Uh, they used to like, you know, what we would call print paper now, but this was mm-hmm. before printers. I, I hate to age So I, I think I think it would be like, yeah, like Xerox copy paper kind of stuff. Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that was kind of the, the name for it. We'd staple it, sort of fold it in half and staple the spine. So we'd have like these little homemade sketchbooks mm. and would write and draw comics and then we would share them with each other. Um, so it was this, you know, something I've been doing my entire life. And then... At a certain, I think it was when I was 14, um, my brother discovered that there was these animation classes being taught in Seattle. Mm. And the age requirement was 13 or 14, but it, it, they encouraged, you know, um, 18-year-olds or whatever. And so I was this really young kid that, like, signed. I remember, like, my dad had to drive me to class. Oh, <laughs> And he would sit in the back of the room and read Reader's Digest, which is a <laughs> very old school, like, sort of like, you know, <laughs> your older listener. You know, have your, have your listeners ask, like, their grandparents what Reader's <laughs> Digest is, because that's, that's how, like, old it is. I made my first animated film when I was 14. Wow. And, um drew it on paper and shot it on film and like synced the, you know, the, the dialogue with, with, wow. like, you know, um, so super old school. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that was a lot of work and I'm addicted and I have to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and you filmed, so that's, that's did you film my, that on like, a down shooter? 
Yes, yeah. Oh, the, man. Uh, uh, Master Oxberry is what they're called. And wow. it had the peg, the pegs and everything. Mm. Like it was just old school animation training. Wow. And you grew up in the Seattle area, I'm, I'm, I'm I did, assuming? yeah. I'm okay. from Tacoma, Washington, which is like like maybe 40 miles south of Seattle. Maybe less okay. than that. Okay, that, that makes sense because I was just like, I hope you're not like driving from California to Seattle to get animation classes. <laughs> also, right. um, question lots of things if you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably other classes much closer to LA if I was from LA. Yeah. Um, but okay, yeah, that, yeah, did, that like, did make me think of... Uh, the way you were in school reminded me so much of how I was in school is anytime we took a test or had a worksheet, I was always, always drawing on the borders or on the backside of the paper. And then it got to a point where I'm like, I'm able to do the work, but I focus better when I'm drawing. Right. But my teachers finally were just so defeated by trying to stop me. They're like, you know what? Here, if you do the work, you finish your stuff, then you can draw. (laughs) So it it was, yeah. Yeah, it was it was that kind of thing, and I'm uh, and I just I just remember how many worksheets I had all backlogged, and I I don't know they're all cataloged somewhere. I I swear I have, and also on top of that, I have like I've lost count of how many sketchbooks I have from like way back when I was like really little kid. <laughs> um, but probably like I mean, fifty of them at least. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely a thing. Like, I have noticed that most artists have some sort of, I think it's a right brain, left brain thing, mm-hmm. where if we are sketching, we actually pay better attention to, like, someone talking to us. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to, you know, for someone like myself, who not only is an artist, but I manage artists now. So, you know, I'll often, mm-hmm. like, lead a team of artists. I'll give a presentation or like, here's the plans for this episode. And I'll see my team, like half of them are sketching while I'm talking to them. <laughs> and it's, it's easy to think, oh, to be insulted or something and think that they aren't listening. But I know because I'm an artist that they're probably listening much more intently because they're drawing. If I could get that out into sort of the public, you know, not like knowledge, especially for like school teachers and stuff. If you have that artist type in your, in your class, they they have to draw to focus to listen to or you know i don't know if it's across the board that everyone is that way but don't think they aren't listening they're actually it's it's as though they're they have to entertain both sides of their brain it's it's sort Mm -hmm. of this weird way that we're wired i guess yeah it's like and i mean like i swear to this day there are points where yeah like you know i myself yeah will sit in a in a meeting or something like that and, and i will be doodling but the best part is is that so are, so is everybody else because we're on the same wavelength yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's definitely like a, a method of operation i guess yeah so um, the next question is, so tell us about, you know, how you got your first job out of um, college, and then we'll get to, like, talking about that for, like, the majority of the episode. Um, I am kidding. Like, <laughs> half kidding, but, you know, it's fine. Was <laughs> oh, this, like, a current goal? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I love I love Humongous Entertainment, so I was just going to be like, let's just, like, who cares oh, about Avatar? It. Let's just talk about Humongous Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, that that's a great way to, to like to to start it I guess is um I was I went to school in New York school of visual arts Mm. and um that was a little bit of a surprise to me I didn't I didn't expect to move to New York but I had applied to a few college 
um, colleges that taught animation. And New York, or excuse me, SVA was the school that not only accepted me, but gave me a half scholarship. Oh, nice. Which is huge because I, I, I'm totally aware of how much of a burden paying college tuition is on um, younger people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, believe me, I, I was wary of it even then. You know, I, I didn't come from money. My dad was a mailman. My mom didn't work. So, you know, we weren't, we weren't rich. Mm-hmm. So the thought of paying tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for college tuition was super stressful at the time. So the fact that SVA was like, we'll, we'll comp half of it for you. I was like, well, I guess I'm moving to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that that happened. Like, I love New York City. I love that I had that experience. And, um, you know, I consider it sort of a second home. Um, and when I finished at SVA, um, there... This is very common in in animation colleges. They'll send recruiters because they all Mm -hmm. sort of want to scout the the next new talent. Mm -hmm. And that was valuable. And then I got a lot of names and numbers and also tips on like what to put in my portfolio and Mm -hmm. what type of talent they were looking for. But there is, you know, if any of your listeners um, have gone to animation school or, you know, remember those days of applying. There's this dark <laughs> period where you send out your applications and no one calls back for mm-hmm. months, if not years. <laughs> so I, I moved back home to Tacoma, moved back in with my parents after living in New York for, for three years and noticed this ad. I think it was in the newspaper. This is very old school. Um, that they were looking for animators in Woodenville, Washington, which is kind of a smaller town, um, like east of Seattle. And I, it was odd that I went, because I feel like I had gone to Mordor and back, you know, to like get this animation degree. And yet there was this animation studio, you know, 40, 50 miles north of me. And I applied and found out about Humongous Entertainment. They were working on these CD-ROM um, uh, traditionally animated video games, which was a thing at the time. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd go to the store and buy the CD and pop it in your CD drive. <laughs> and they were like point and click where you'd like, you know, the character would, would, would sort of stand in the middle of the screen and you'd click on stuff and they'd interact with it. And mm-hmm. it was very like story driven and very interactive, really ahead of its time and also beautifully animated. And so um, they made me do a test. I think it was of Pajama Sam. Uh And the kind of like list was uh, start Pajama Sam in the middle of the screen. And he goes over to the, I don't remember what it was, like the the dresser and interacts with it in a fun way and then goes back to his start position. So I did that. I remember it was like 300 drawings or something like that. And, you know, did it for free. (laughs) And I in between it. And they they gave me the job. And I remember feeling like, oh, man, maybe it wasn't a horrible idea to go to this animation school. (laughs) Like, I I apparently have what it takes to at least get hired. And so, yeah, so for the first gig out of school, I um, worked at Humongous on Pajama Sam and um, (laughs) Putt-Putt. That's great. What games did you work on? I, I know, I know, but like you tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So specifically, I worked on Pajama Sam, Thunder and Lightning Aren't So Frightening, mm. which I think is is the second in that yes. series. And then I worked on Putt-Putt, 
enters the race, which I think might be yeah. the third or fourth of the putt putt I series. I think fourth because there's. Uh, <laughs> I love I that mean, you know that. Like I don't, like I there's there's travels through time and there's the race. Putt putt no, goes to the circus. There, yeah, the mm-hmm. circus is after though because like yeah. the animation is. is um, there's also he goes to the zoo, which is the first one. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's oh uh, and there's like the ones that are like older that aren't like like kind of pixel animation not like kind of 2d kind of pixel and that was like joins the parade which i never had and like goes to the moon so i think there was i think it was like the fifth or something off the top yeah i wouldn't be surprised because i think enters the race the 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 end goal like the reward was you could actually enter the race it was a cg kind of racetrack which was like really cutting edge at the time (laughs) yeah and on top of that the level of interactivity with humongous games were just like i to this day i still think about them constantly and it's like man i could go back and play these and just click on everything you know 20 times and i'll do something different every time i that was at a point where some it felt like so many cd-rom games didn't do that so it was just i could tell how much went into it and how much fun it seemed to be to work on those kinds of games because it, all the gags and all the little things that you could do for the interactivity, it was kind of just like, go ham. Uh, anything is possible. It was. It really was. I mean, I kind of took it for granted at the time because it's like I said, like you'd have uh, Pajama Sam in the, they called it the root position, which is, you know, you'd be standing in the center mm-hmm. of the screen and you'd get this list of prompts, which was, you know, interacts with the fridge, interacts with the oven, interacts with the, etc. And you could do more or less whatever you wanted to, um, as long as it was playful and interesting and, you know, maybe not too long. So if I wanted to, for example, have him somersault over to the fridge and, you know, take out a Coke and pound it, (laughs) I could do that. If I wanted to have him hopscotch to the fridge and like, fix himself a bowl of cereal, I could do that. So there, you know, it it was literally up to the animator, which is much less common in TV animation. You usually get like a storyboard or something that's very like, this is the shot where Aang, you know, specifically picks up his staff and then flies away. Mm -hmm. So you, if you go too far off uh, script, so to speak, and have him do a little somersault or like wink at the camera or whatever, mm-hmm. that would be discouraged. It would get cut for time. But mm-hmm. um, at Humongous, you were encouraged to be playful. And um, that was, it's cool to hear that it, it, that that paid off for like the players because it really felt like those games were very dense. You know, there was just mm-hmm. a lot to do. There's a lot of replayability to it too. And plus when you had yeah. games that had... um. Like even if you looked at stuff like um like Freddy Fish, where there are sometimes three possible endings depending on the story and the things that you did, that there could be three different outcomes, kind of clue style, you know, uh, depending on your yeah. choices or depending on how it's like, just the the paths you would take, the clues you would find along the way could lead to a different culprit. I think that was like um. I think that was like the hog wrestler. Was that the hog wrestlers of Briny Gold? The hog wrestlers did that, and then mm-hmm. the the second one, the the ghost in the school or whatever. I don't. Know yeah, so I'm like, like it's title. cool when you even had like that kind of like level of you know being able to develop something to have uh, you know multiple endings and multiple paths uh, in a CD-ROM yeah. game. That was th- that you know in so many other games at that 
time, especially if you're looking at from the perspective of there are a lot of a lot of uh, educational video, uh, edu- educational CD-ROM games that were out at the time, like uh, like Reader Rabbit and that kind of stuff, uh, Jump Starts. But then you have Humongous that comes in, and it's like there to be fun. It's going to teach a great moral, but it wasn't trying to be like we're going to sit you down in a in a classroom and teach you alphabet. You know, this was like about like critical thinking skills, reading comprehension. Yeah. Uh, and you know, but doing all of it without feeling like you're being taught, it was, or, or being forced to, because like I hated like the like every other game or the majority of the games were like that that weren't humongous, where it was like actually you had to do math to get the next step, and it's mm-hmm. like yeah, I don't want to do math. It's like Mavis like... Beacon; you have to type your way to save yourself. <laughs> it's like you're a fish. Type type as fast as you can all these words before you get eaten by the giant bass. <laughs> like, it's funny when you say it that way because I hadn't thought about that, but, you know, I'm not knocking, you know, learning to type or learning math. You know, mm-hmm. obviously those things are important in society to a certain right. degree. It's a, it's a different type of like knowledge to be inquisitive and curious and mm-hmm. like poke at things. It's a, it's a little bit more the spirit of like young scientists, you know, like when you, mm-hmm. you kind of go like, why does, why do these elements interact with each other this way? I'm going to um, mix them together and see what it does. You know, it's a much more like, like um, curious and, and, and less like, you know, two plus two equals four, because of course it does. It's a little more <laughs> like, I don't know what will happen if you leave those oranges out in the sun for, you know, two, two weeks. <laughs> versus three months you know like record it write it down you know it's much more um it's a different mindset but i i I hadn't thought about that but you know maybe humongous was really um brilliant in that it it encouraged that part of learning yeah it was to me to to me to this day it's i still see it as like a trailblazer for how gaming would be designed from that point for kids especially for kids where um again i grew up in that era and so did kp of the era of of the educational games but at the same time we were probably also going to like i i can at least speak for myself we would go into a computer lab and we would play these games or we would have them at home and we would play these games uh and so it, to prepare ourselves for the next year of school uh, mm-hmm. so but so when you're you would mentally associate it with this is school. I mean, it's fun, but it's it's school. When you had yeah. Youngest Entertainment, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like you you were sitting there and and being taught something. You were you again, like you said, it's all about kind of figuring out yourself and being able to have that ability to click on whatever you want and any and anything can happen. And that was the cool part. Was it so much random stuff? I think it was not long ago. Uh, KP was playing thunder and lightning on and we were just it was just the two of us watching it on uh because she was like streaming it or screen sharing it on her screen and we were like clicking through all this stuff she's like what do you think i should click on like oh click on this click on this and it's just like start clicking on it like 20 times and like 20 different things like you know 20 different things start popping out of the same object and like (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah i remember sharing a room with the animators that did those i forgot what they were called I, they had a name for it. Like it was something like spot animations or something. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a group of us was doing the character animation, which was Pajama Sam. But then the others were like, if you click on the bowl of uh, bananas, then, you know, a little creature pops out of it or whatever. And they would, and I think that was even more creative in that they came up with whatever 
would happen. And the the point of it was to keep it, you know, one to three seconds long. So it was mm-hmm. very just, you know, cute and to the point. And, um, and it was a, a very cheerful, uh, kind of environment because because I think that's what we were doing all day so I remember we would talk to each other a lot um Mm. so you know just be like really silly conversations where we were like debating who had the best hummus (laughs) you know know, while we're drawing this stuff yeah it made me think Um, of of buzzy too like the buzzy at the airport kind of games where you go through all these different parts of that that one in particular I had and I just remember spending hours, literally hours, just clicking on on all the different little things. Because then sometimes you click on the escalator and like 10 different people will come down at different times. And somebody's playing a trombone or somebody's doing a cha-cha dance and somebody's doing yeah. <laughs> and, and they're all doing their, they're still doing their animation as they're going down the escalator before they disappear out of view. So you could have multiple, <laughs> you know, variations of these like little symbols going on, uh, going down this one escalator and I was just like, I was always fascinated by like how the programming was for that to, to have like, it's going to play through even with multiple animations going on, on that same symbol. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's so, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like you, um, have you, have you played Monkey Island? Um, I know of it. I haven't played it. Yeah. Have you, do you know of it, Lauren? No, I know of it. I haven't played it. But so that's yeah. interesting. So we're we're all in the same boat in that we sort of know of it, but n- none of us have played. It. <laughs> I, I heard similar things in that that was done really well, and that it was kind of the same idea, but maybe slightly older. Where I where I felt like Humongous was almost preschool level. Uh, Monkey Island was a little more like you know six to eleven, or you know like just slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, aged up but um maybe maybe that's our homework is to go play some monkey, <laughs> monkey island. island i mean i've heard i've heard good things about monkey island so i wouldn't be opposed to that but yeah and then you can even like compare it to like i also like um i'm 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 a baby as far as like scary movies but i can handle the um the scary games and playthroughs of the scariest games because like the, the people are 3d so it helps me like separate it yeah. So even a lot of the scary games that are like Until Dawn are very like similar where they're motivated by like what you interact with or what you choose if you want to like have a you know adult pajama Sam if if you will. So I think that's <laughs> like you know it's I think it's had a big um not a big impact but like I think it's definitely had an impact about or how people interact with their um with their game media especially and I'm like um like I hope back like I hope in like my mind somewhere like someone. They like they they sell the rights so we can like have a putt putt like or pajama Sam TV show or something. <laughs> that would be those characters are perfect for it. So I wonder who has the rights. I mean, I'm assuming it's still the the people who you know founded Humongous Entertainment. But so Atari bought it, I think, in like mm. early 2000s, and then someone bought it from Atari, and they all I know is they they put the game like they so they tried to put the games on Wii for a little bit, and that was like weird. Um, yeah. So, and then after that, some co- another company bought it who seems pretty chill with it. Like, they're not doing anything new. They're just, they just put them all on Steam and they have like fun little, like, they're on Twitter and they have fun little, like, um, graphics for like holidays and things like that. And they mm-hmm. have sales and they're on hum- Humble Bubble. So, if you don't know what we're talking about, then you can buy them on Steam. Or if you're old school, you can buy the CD ROMs on eBay or whatever and then use yeah. uh, Scum to play them. Anyway, um, so I don't they're think anyone... They're on iPad, too, now. Oh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's Which was idea. fun. Like, I, I played... 
I think I just did the demo for um, Thunder and Lightning on my iPad and it was really crazy. It was kind of like memory lane. Mm -hmm. I, I think I remember, you know, I, I did some of the animation in the in the opening of that um, game. Mm. So it was part of the demo. And I was like, oh my God, I remember drawing this. <laughs> it was really weird, you know, like, I mean, it was cool, but it was, it was weird. Like, a, like, like had I known back when I was drawing on paper that there would be these sort of portable tablets, you know, that I could play this in bed now, <laughs> um, you know, so many years later, it, it was definitely like a, like a weird, you know, uh, I don't know, retrospective kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good idea if we ever do a charity stream to just like draw you in to and like make you relive all your worst memories. <laughs> Sam. So are you aware of the secret animation I put in that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, uh, I'll, you, I'll tell you, you about that. Okay. So, you know, I've always been a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say it's not prankster, but a little mischievous, I guess. <laughs> my, my sense of humor is a little mischievous. Um, I, I don't show it, you know, often when I do these like public things, because I, you know, I try to be professional or whatever. But if you really know me, I, I like to kind of prank people and, and I'm a little more <laughs> mischievous. So in my downtime, I did this bonus animation on Pajama Sam because um, there's this there's this one of the boards, I guess, or rooms in that game is the bathroom. And I was like, how do you click on the bathroom? How do you click on the toilet and not have Pajama Sam like use it? <laughs> so I did, I did this bonus animation where he actually like takes a dump <laughs> and he like unfolds the flaps on his pajamas, <laughs> he like strains and everything. And um, back in the day, you had to actually go into your PC and like write a little code in one of the secret folders to access this animation. But mm -hmm. Um, I think that I talked about it on a podcast or something back in the day and a number of people now have unlocked it and posted it on YouTube. So <laughs> you can go and, and look this up. It's like the Pajama Sam, you know, bonus animation or, or bathroom animation. You know, those are like the keywords, but you'll see it. Like, and the, probably the worst part <laughs> is he wipes his butt with his cape. Oh, no. <laughs> and then very nonchalantly like ties it back around his neck <laughs> and then goes back to the root position. <laughs> so it's, it's really gross. I mean, it's not like you don't see a brown stain or anything no, like that. No, it's but, just... You know, that's just me being me, you know, and, and it's, and it's, you can watch it now. It's on YouTube. That's amazing. <laughs> what, a, what a legacy, right? <laughs> what a legacy. <laughs> no, it's like looking back, such humble beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's, it's oh. also another one of those like rare, like I could never do that with Aang. Right. It would appear like on the Blu-ray. I guess I could do it and then post it online or something, but it, it would definitely be a little odd. Like, why am I... <laughs> why am I drawing him pooping <laughs> but you know also to my defense I was pretty young at the time like 22 or something you know, so I still sort of had that <laughs> uh, you know sense of humor I guess I guess I, I still think it's sort of funny even now oh my god that's that's fantastic okay I'm gonna have to look that up but yeah thanks for sharing that was I didn't know that and you know I I was looking up the the people that uploaded like the raw files and stuff like that so but I still couldn't find that so you know now now you know I guess if you listen to the podcast yes that is your bonus for, for tuning in <laughs> okay um we could talk about this all day um but let's move on to Avatar um for now um 
So why don't we start with, um, so you said you relate most to the, the airbenders. Why don't you tell us your origin story as far as that? <laughs> yeah, so when people ask me, like, what element are you? They always want to know this. <laughs> it's a very common <laughs> question. I feel like in my heart, I feel more like a waterbender. And I, I think that that's because I love snow and rain. Mm. Um, I, maybe that's the Tacoma in me. Like I get nostalgic when it rains out. Like it's like, ooh, it's cozy, you know. <laughs> and I, I love the sound of crunching through snow. Um, and I also sort of relate to the healing properties of water bending, which is which is weird. Um, I, I I feel like I don't know. I feel like the world could use could, needs more healing in it or something. Mm. You know, that's maybe my sort of esoteric a- answer. <laughs> Uh, we also on Avatar held like this trivia thing one one time. It was like they they asked the directors a bunch of questions about like Avatar lore, and this was in the middle of working on the show, so it wasn't as concrete in our minds as it as it probably is for most fans nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it was like little things like what's the the ultimate form of fire bending, and you know you'd have to answer uh, you know lightning bending or whatever, and um, you know, it was a point-based thing, sort of like a like a almost like Jeopardy or something that we held in the gym at Nickelodeon. <laughs> mm-hmm. and oh my god! The winner of the whole thing would be ordained like the the Air Nation or the you know the Air Nomads, and um, I won the whole thing. So I now I sort of feel bad, um, because. Well, how do I say this? Um, since then, we got you know designated the proper the the corresponding element. So you know whoever was sort of first to be eliminated was I don't remember what it was fire I guess, and then second was earth and water was was third or, or, or excuse me I'm confusing, <laughs> uh, whatever I don't remember what they were but the grand prize was you'd be an airbender like Aang you know so I won that so I feel like. Um, if you're asking me personally, I'm a waterbender, but I also proudly wear my <laughs> my Air Nomad, you know, championship. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you you've been officially knighted, I guess. But like, I, I just yep. feel bad because like you you lose, you get the worst element, fire, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I can't quite remember how that worked, you know, because um, you know, I I don't I don't think that fire bending <laughs> in and of itself is the worst. You know, it's arguably the most powerful. Um, but, you know, in, in that context, the firebenders were bad guys. So it was kind of the, you know, the the least coveted, I guess. But, that, you know, even valid. then people on the team were like, yeah, I got firebender. They're clearly the better ones, you know. Um, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like <laughs> the, know, it it's like the Hogwarts house like a, ar- argument where some people go yeah. because they base it off of the movies and stuff like that going, oh, I got Slytherin. Oh, though, that's bad. But then it's like. No, there's, there may be some bad eggs in Slytherin, but overall Slytherin's not a bad house and their qualities aren't bad. They just happen to have a lot of bad eggs in their basket. Um, totally. It's, it's totally a Slytherin thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like, it's kind of like that where to be a firebender, no, it's not a bad thing to be a firebender. It just so happened that there were some bad people associated with firebending. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I guess what was cool about Korra is you got to see, you know, the other side of that, where, mm-hmm. like, not all firebenders are, are uh, you know, horrible people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. arguably you see that with Zuko, too, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. It just took him a while. <laughs> it's 
spoiler alert, right? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah, I'm messing with you. Um, I, I imagine anyone who's watching this, like, what the show's been up for, like, what, 15 years? Like, you've probably seen it. Well, the now. crazy thing about that, I assumed that as well, but um, the fact that Netflix added it back to their queue in um, summer of 2020 there was a ton of first time watchers, which was really crazy. Like I, I had assumed that sort of the avatar fan base was all about 30 now, you know, or, <laughs> you know, like, like pushing 30 um, because, you know, that show came out 12, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but there's this new generation now that just watched it for the first time. So I, um, you know, I'm thankful for that. It also makes me realize I have to be careful uh, that I don't, you know, <laughs> tell too many like dirty jokes or something about, <laughs> about the Avatar world because there's still like eight year olds that are like, <laughs> uh, I suppose they aren't on Twitter, but um, you know, there's there's a new generation that are that's discovering it. So I, I think I guess it's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want to corrupt the youths or whatever. The kids yeah, are yeah. There's there's a responsibility there. Um. So uh, let's backtrack a little bit. So how did you get that? that job and then we can like go into like what you actually did on the show because i don't think people really think a lot about like an animation director and like what that is yeah those are those are great questions um short of it is i was working on king of the hill for a while i was, I was on that show for like six years or something mm-hmm. yeah and went forever. one of the directors on that show was mike DiMartino, and his assistant director was brian Kanitsko. oh <laughs> and the boys you know i suppose like the hardcore avatar fan would like include their king of the hill episodes as like part of their library of work (laughs) but the the good thing is um you know you in any animation team you kind of move the the artists around so i got to do i believe character layout for them and they possibly storyboarding i can't remember but they liked my work and they remembered me so when they left King of the Hill to do their big fancy development deal at Nickelodeon and work on this secret show, um, <laughs> they got greenlit and um, had to hire four directors. And so they remembered their friends who were really good from King of the Hill. That was literally what it boiled down to. Wow. Um, so that included um, Dave Filoni, who is now you know co-runner of The Mandalorian, <laughs> um, which, is, which is crazy. And Lauren McMullen, who was really just a, a awesome like Simpsons director, and she had moved on to King of the Hill, so she joined us. Anthony Leoy, who was one of the you know star directors on King of the Hill, and myself, and I was the only of those four. Well, actually, I take that back. Dave and I were the first time directors on Avatar. Wow! And so we got hired to um, you know help build the world and. Um, it, so it was a crazy, I've, I've, I've said this in other interviews, like learning to direct for the first time is um, a challenge in and of itself, mm. but learning to direct on Avatar <laughs> is like next level because it's was a really challenging show. So it was definitely a very steep learning curve. Mm. Um, the Directing on that show was, I, I, if I could simplify it, it's basically this, you would get handed a script that was more or less written um, without your knowledge. So I think a lot of people sometimes confuse that. They think that maybe I co-wrote my episodes and for the most part, I didn't. You just get assigned a script and and you're part of the director rotation. So I would do every fourth episode. 
and later every third when we sort of pared down to three directors. Um, and I'd have a team of storyboard artists, which was two or three board artists. And we would divide the episode into thirds or quarters and say, all right, you get pages one through eight. You get pages nine through 16, et cetera, et cetera. So the board artists would go off and do their assignment. I would do mine. And the difference as a director is that I could note their work. So I'd be like, mm, you're maybe missing a shot of this. Or <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if you added this? And, and it also includes some of the more annoying notes like your perspective's a little wrong or, or Zuko's off model, you know. And then we would collectively present to Mike and Brian who would note all of our work. So I'd get notes on my stuff, you know, all the directors. Mm -hmm. And those notes were often like just making the whole thing cohesive, making sure that it was like, now remember Zuko is doing this in the next episode. So we want to foreshadow it in yours, you know? So they, they had much like larger um, understanding of of where the series was going mm -hmm. but it would also include your perspective is wrong and Zuko's <laughs> off model you know like who knows that better than Mike and Brian so we'd get a lot of like um, you know push the the composition or um, you know basically fancy words for draw it better <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm surprised because like it, it seems like from what I can tell like being on model on boards is dependent on the show and dependent yeah. on like where you're shipping the the episode to. Mm -hmm. So you know, a lot of, like a lot of times for our stuff, it's like we we try to keep it on model, especially like when you know the animators are having the um, their scenes underneath and trying to kind of patch along the the timing and all that stuff. But you know, other times like I've seen board reading board shows and even Pony like um, was very dependent on the storyboarder and didn't have to be on model because it was puppet based or like on the board so that's interesting yeah oh are you on pony did, did i not know this no um <laughs> oh okay back, back, back. <laughs> so um so i'm a i'm so we i'm a youtuber we, but we also do independent animation so it's all fan stuff but oh, got it okay yeah so um and that's how i met andrew is um i i would be booked um for the pony conventions as a as a community guest like so versus the people who were on the show oh but, that's awesome yeah I, I, I wanted to ask because i just didn't want to be um you know assuming anything because like if you are in the industry then you know there's a little bit more of a you know how this happens but i suppose yeah. also for our our you know listeners um they don't necessarily know all this so it's it's not the, necessarily the worst that I'm over explaining things. I yeah, guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the in the podcast itself is all about introducing people, and like the thing that I you know is been hard for me personally is kind of not being in a place where you could kind of you know foster your animation skills, and you know, like I was you know on the East Coast and I just moved right. and I I have like a film degree, so I've had to kind of get all these skills like post college and via the guild and stuff like that. So yeah. it's a lot of it's just like letting people learn what they need to learn so they know like how to, you know, get from point A to point B, like maybe without an art degree. And like that's the thing. And especially with COVID, you know, like it makes more of the the business model applicable, I guess, depending on where you are. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really kind of love and respect that route. Um, I think it's becoming more and more viable. Like I did the very traditional route, which is. You go to school, you get a degree, you apply for jobs, and you work your way up in the system. But more and more, I'm seeing, like, especially if you can learn animation by um, 
following other people who do animation or watching even YouTube videos. There's a ton of like tutorials on YouTube. Um, you can totally do it without a degree. Like I almost mm -hmm. feel, you know, I don't know if the universities would be mad for saying this, but <laughs> it's, it's really optional nowadays. Like you mm -hmm. can figure it out on your own. And there's some very good um, peers that I work with that never went to college. They just sort of learned on their own and, and then figured it out on the job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a whole new frontier now, and especially with, in the wake of of COVID, it seems to have it's like it seemed to expand a lot of different opportunities in that way because there was no because it no longer was there like the physical distance relocation aspect so much yeah. because as long as you had the tools or the tools were provided, um, you could pretty much do it from anywhere. Um, when and that and. So when people are, you know, they're stuck at home, as long as they have that means, they can do it. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's it's crazy to think how much changed all within pretty much just within just shy of a year's time. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like a lot of my friends like up and moved to Vermont or something like that, <laughs> you know, just just for now, you know, because mm -hmm. they're yeah. like, I can still totally run this TV show from anywhere in the world and I'm just you know let's just do it over here for now <laughs> it's yeah it's just yeah. time it's just time zone difference that's really more or less the the, the primary hurdle I guess <laughs> yep totally but but I guess sort of back to your point which is um drawing characters on model um there's definitely a school of thought which is um and this is very tv animation kind of um, approach, mm -hmm. which is if you draw the characters on model in the storyboard, then there's less of a chance that the overseas studio will screw it up. Yeah. That's, that's sort of one school of thought. So I've, I've seen like Family Guy boards, for example, they have literally created um, brush stamps that is like Peter Griffin's like head and they just like <laughs> stamp it on the model so that it's like ready to go. And then they just tweak his expression wow. so that they can, you know, pump out the boards really fast and precisely. So that's one camp. But then there's this other camp that is, no, that's the whole point of the animator's job is to put the characters on model and storyboards should be rough. And you're, you're more just blocking out um, cinematography and posing and acting and um, trust the animators. And the fun thing about Avatar was we skewed more towards that where it was just trust the animators. Mm -hmm. And um, what I liked about that is we could draw lots of poses. So I think the animator in me liked that. Where So those very elaborate like kung fu scenes where you had to really pose it out and make it super precise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, we could do that. But I also didn't have to worry so much about drawing all of the cuts and details on Zuko's armor, for example. It was assumed that the animators would do that. So, you know, if I post, I rarely do this, but if I post storyboards from Avatar, you'll see they're not very beautiful drawings. <laughs> they're, they're pretty raw and loose, but if you flip them or sort of step through them quickly, um, hopefully they animate well and it looks a lot like the finished product in terms of just the movement and stuff like mm -hmm. that.
That makes sense. Um, this is a little sidetracking, but like, how did you guys figure out how to board the fight scenes? Because I know those are particularly uh, <laughs> hard. And I know there was a martial arts um, profession, uh, professional guy that helped kind of block out the movement and do um, do tests and stuff like that. But I was just curious, like from your perspective. Yeah, it was it was definitely a a intricate, multi stepped process, and I suppose I should give this shout out. Um, uh, Entertainment Insider just did a video on this that they posted on YouTube and Twitter um, featuring Sifu Kisu, who is like the martial artist expert on Avatar and mm -hmm. Korra. Um, that sort of shows you how we did that. But I can I can also, you know, explain again for those of you who don't feel like looking it up. We, you know, we would do, we'd start with sort of rough anime or storyboards where um, Aang might like, do a, you know, he, he, he does airbending, you know, and, and it calls for it in the script. So I'd just sort of have him shoot his hands out and air would come out. And then at a certain phase, we, when we, the boards were loosely blocked out, we'd bring in Kisu and we'd show him the drawings. And then we'd say like, all right, this is the bit where Aang blasts some air, but he's standing on a boat that's kind of rocking, for example. So he maybe slightly off balance. What would that look like? And... The great thing about Kisu is that he's that great balance of knowledgeable and also playful mm -hmm. <laughs> that he'd, he'd be like, well, you know, if you're off balance, you know, then maybe you might do this. And he'd, and he'd sort of act it out, you know, and like he'd stand on one leg and, you know, f pretend that he's off balance and then um, do the kung fu based, you know, interpretation of what we did. So that it would actually have that weight to it and physics to it and authenticity to it. And so then we would go back to the board and we'd film him doing this, go back to the boards. And a lot of people um, asked us if we would rotoscope it. We didn't quite do that because rotoscoping literally means you traced the video, mm -hmm. but we would reference it. So we would have it on the side and, and try to draw the poses that he did. And then the boards would get updated with this kung fu accurate posing. <laughs> then we would do a third pass where um, in some cases like shots would get cut or shots would get added or maybe we'd go, you know, now that we know the kung fu movement is this, wouldn't it look a lot better if we dropped the camera down to the ground or shot it from high up above? And that's where it would get much more storyboard specific where we would stand on a chair or stand on the bleachers in the Nickelodeon gym, you know, so that we could actually get as accurate a down shot as we could. And Kisu would film it again. So there was, it was several steps to get it just right. And what we found was it was a burden to the animators if we sent them like eight hours of footage, you know, just, just kind of go through this and find the Kung Fu <laughs> reference. It was much better to be like, this is shot 80, and here is the reference um, for shot 80 of Kisu doing it in the exact camera angle of shot 80. Uh, that, and we, we figured that out over several episodes, but that was th like the package we would ship with the animation to get it as accurately as possible. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure if um, the majority of like action shows do that route or um they kind of let the storyboarders have that and, and kind of planted from their imagination i imagine um kim possible for instance did that because like there was a lot of kung fu but i don't think it was a lot of 
specific stylizing from what yeah. I could tell. So, um, and yeah. I feel like that's a little bit more a animation industry norm and I don't knock it because I've been there before. Um, you know, on Clone Wars, for example, we didn't have a Kung Fu um, instructor. I, I, there were times when I wish we did because there's a lot of <laughs> intricate lightsaber fighting in that show. Yeah. So we would sort of just make it up. And I think that it, in some cases it looked fine and others it sort of just looked like a little kid waving a stick around, you know, really <laughs> fast. Um, and it's, it's hard to do, like, it, especially that type of thing, like you just, you know, want to make sure that... Um, it at least looks believable, but animation um, deadlines are, uh, uh, you know, are a bitch. <laughs> you know, so you, you want to try to hit your deadlines and sometimes just like, eh, close enough. I, I will fake this. And, you know, that's, that's what um, uh, like Naruto or like Dragon Ball Z does a lot of where it's, it's drawn really well, but it's kind of like, you get it. He's kung fuing. Um, I just want to hit my deadline and uh, move on to the next shot. <laughs> oh, that's 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 funny. Yeah, I was just curious, <laughs> but um, okay. So let's branch out from there. I'm sure. I'm sure all the avatars would were are excited about this, and will badger us to to get you back on. But anyway, um, that's enough avatar for now. Um, so how did you go from avatar for your um? You, you talked about Clone Wars, and then we can talk about Dragon Prince. So how did you kind of branch out after Avatar kind of wrapped? Yeah, so when Avatar wrapped, you know, it was sort of this sad time because um, it was a fun show. It was a challenging show, but it was always intended to end at season three. There's a lot of rumors that there was a season four that they canceled because of the M. Night Shyamalan movie. That's <laughs> not really true. The whole point of it was that Aang was going to confront the Fire Lord and defeat him, and it would be the end. Um, they had speculated about a season four. They were like, what would that look like? But I think Mike and Brian were fried. You know, it was a challenging show, and they, they really wanted to sort of tie it up with a, with a, with a tidy bow and, and move on. Mm -hmm. But that also meant that most of the crew needed a job now. <laughs> But the, 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 the really lucky thing for me was I was buddies with Dave Filoni and he left after season one because George Lucas <laughs> um, hired him to do a Clone Wars um, sort of reboot. Mm -hmm. um, there was a Gendy Tartakovsky like micro series that that was amazing. And I, I you know, I think that that he really did an incredible job on that. Mm -hmm. But George wanted to turn it into a full fledged series. Um and wanted to do it in CG because he's he's always kind of a, <laughs> mm -hmm. a tech junkie. You know, George loves his um, next level technology. That's his, if if him going it. back into the into the originals and doing the CG, you know, yeah. aliens and stuff like that, and then effects, if that tells you anything, <laughs> yeah, that that's him. So he wanted to, to to do that, and he hired Dave. So Dave unfortunately left us after season one. I mean, that's and... a pretty good reason though <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of those like you know uh how can you blame them? yeah uh and so the cool thing was dave and i were ch chatting and, and i was like dude avatar is rapping you know in the summer of i think it was 2007 i need a job like is there still a spot for me and it just so happened that there was like they were i think they were entertaining the idea of adding a fourth director because clone wars had three and um, it just worked out. So they 
um, put me up. Yeah, I felt, it felt it was very fancy. You know, I, I feel like this is one of those things that you dream of joining the animation industry. It's not always this um, <laughs> luxurious, but they put me up in this apartment in like um, uh, J- Japantown in San Francisco. And I drove into uh, Skywalker Ranch every day oh. to like work on Star Wars with George Lucas. And I was brought on as a guest director. So it was sort of like a test, I guess, to see like if I liked it, if I liked living in the Bay Area. Um, and also if George liked my work, if I suppose if Dave liked my work too. No pressure. <laughs> if I could do it, you know, because it, it wasn't a CG. I, I was not a CG um, director. So I had to sort of learn that on the job. And it ended up that it went well. And so they wanted to bring me on full time. So suddenly in like January of 2008, we put our house on the market, you know, in LA and moved <laughs> and um, up and moved to, to the Bay Area for three years. And I got to make Star Wars with, with, with like my buddy Dave and with George Lucas, you know, so like Dave to my left and George to my right. <laughs> oh, God, I feel like if you were if you were not as leveled you just like use that as your you know your bragging card and just like no big deal i just was at skyrocker ranch and you know hung out with my friend george georgie that's (laughs) yeah i mean it was definitely weird i i don't like to name drop sort of in general but there's times where i'm like it is a pretty cool story and i feel like people like to hear that now and then and i think you know also it's something to aspire to like you will at some point, if you if you join this industry, you work with with some of your heroes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of them. You know, it's not guaranteed. And in some cases, you'll work with them and find out that they're assholes, <laughs> <laughs> or they get um, me too, or whatever. Fortunately, with George, I think you know, I he he was kind of a shy dude, but for the most part, very nice. He never ever yelled at us. Mm. I think also it goes to say that he's uh, a big philanthropist. Like he has donated countless money to like schools and getting them like iPads and That's you know great. um the disenfranchised he doesn't like brag about it or, you know it's not like Lucasfilm goes we're proud to <laughs> to say we donated millions of dollars to this cause he just does it privately you know uh-huh. and so he's you know he's a good he's a good person he's done a lot with with his success so um, I, I think it's good to sort of see that firsthand. Yeah, I think the closest I ever came to ever being near him in person was purely by I didn't even expect it. It was because I went to Loyola Marymount and studied animation there. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I, Jay Oliva. Huh? <laughs> was Jay Oliva one of your teachers? Uh, yes, yes, he was. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know Jay. yeah, and uh, I uh, I remember it was freshman orientation. And we were sitting in the in the gym there, and uh, it was it was just funny. I I realized after the fact that because I'm like I'm sitting up in a you know in a row and then a few rows ahead of me, I see this very distinct, you know, salt and pepper pompadour, the the, the checkered <laughs> shirt, the glasses, the same yeah. profile, and I'm sitting there going. That George Lucas, <laughs> and he's got such a look. Yes, like yeah. he's unmistakable. Look. So I'm just like, either there's somebody who looks remarkably like him in every single way, or that is 100% George Lucas. And as it turned out, I guess his son uh, was—I I think he was in production or screenwriting or something like that. He was in one of the other 
film school majors. But what's kind of funny is that despite the size of the school, uh, with animation and production, they were kind of they all took their separate classes, right? So it was kind of funny that often you wouldn't cross paths with other production majors or stuff like that. <laughs> animation, we kind of lived in a lab, right? right? So, <laughs> but um, so I was just like, I I didn't really. I, I, if even if I ran into his son, I wouldn't have known because it was very quiet about it. <laughs> but, oh, that's so funny. but I'm just but, like, I, mean, I guess that's that, that was my only hint yeah. at him being there. <laughs> that's amazing, and and you forget about that. Like at the end of the day, he is a dad, and you know he he wants his his or I, I suppose his son wanted to be in the industry. So it's like, all right, let's find you a good school, and yeah, <laughs> you know, get, I believe he's working in the industry now, as, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I, um, I would imagine, right? <laughs> he, he might even be working on Mandalorian. Mm. Um, I, I'm not, but it, like he, I, I remember he used to hang out in sort of this the editing room now and then, and he was a teenager at the time, so it was it was interesting because he was very teenagery, you know, like a, a little kind of like distracted on his phone, <laughs> you know, while we're like making Star Wars. Like he he seemed to like not be as impressed with it you know because it was just his dad you know he was hanging out at dad's office i guess but you know uh, you know to his defense you know he was a teenager at the time so but i'm I'm glad to hear that he's you know (laughs) in the business (laughs) yeah it was and it was just yeah i thought that was just really funny that i of all the times to see him it was just i guess it's kind of like that one clip of him showing up randomly in a documentary while this guy's like walking down the street talking about some other entirely different process about like some technical process about things and then all of a sudden george lucas just shows up out of the blue in the background and just walks into a hotel and was like oh (laughs) yes i saw that like like not that long ago a few weeks ago yeah it was so funny like same energy i'm not sure if this is real i think it is where he's like sitting on a park bench at Disney World <laughs> and almost like kind of taking a power nap, you know, like like he's got his eyes closed, I think, yeah. like, if I'm remembering correctly. And I, I don't blame him. Like he, he's like, I've been walking all day. I need to just like recharge for a second. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I mean, but in, in two, and this is kind of the fun part about like having a podcast is you kind of get to hear these stories where people like, you wouldn't even think about like cross paths and you're just like, Oh really? Like the, like the, the unicorn is real after all. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it like, it's, it's, it's definitely weird. Cause like, even when I see like old documentaries when he was a lot younger and, and, you know, working on star Wars or even the, the movies before star Wars, it's weird to think like, Oh, like I kind of know that dude. <laughs> like, you know, it's and, and I. It's not like we text each other every weekend or anything. But you know, I, like I worked with him. You know, he's a, he's an old boss. <laughs> Actually, I guess I should I should say this. This is one of there's a there's a line in the original Star Wars where Luke Skywalker asks Ben Kenobi like, "You fought in the Clone Wars," <laughs> and um, at the time it was sort of a throwaway line because it was. You know, I don't know what the what the hell is the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. but um, now when I hear that line, it's like, yep, so did I. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, you fought in Nam or something. <laughs> like I, I feel it on a different level now. Oh Lord, oh that's great. Um, and I'm, I'm 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 pleased with how I mean I. I'm kind of casual Star Wars, even though my dog is named Chewbacca. But, <laughs> that's, that's um, 
yeah, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised because I know people were really passionate about that show, and I'm glad it got a good rap um, when Disney Plus got a hold of it, and you know. Yeah, and that was a little bit of uh, there was a dark time when you know I, I'm not sure if I should be saying this on a podcast, so I'll, I'll watch my words. But when Disney bought out Star Wars, um, the end result was that Clone Wars got canceled, and, mm. and, and part of the. It was all business, you know, because Clone yeah. Wars was kind of a Cartoon Network property mm-hmm. and Disney is their competitors. It, you know, I, I think it had something to do with that. Like now that we own you, um, we're, we're not letting you have this valuable property anymore. But the fact that it came full circle, that they actually finished the seasons and, you know, now it lives on Disney Plus. Um is sort of the happy ending that I think the show deserved. So I'm, I'm I'm glad that they they kind of righted the the temporary like bad part of that deal. I yeah. guess. <laughs> and yeah, like hit or miss. Like Disney is pretty good for the most part with um you know finding like hearing pe- people be vocal about that kind of stuff. And you know they're pretty good about keeping their own legacy alive which is something i've talked about with my analysis yeah. work and all that stuff so you know i'm glad it I, i'm glad it worked out because i know people like were really into um that show and i you know especially now that like rebels came out and the resistance right. came out and you know now mandalorian is using ahsoka i i think you know that people who listen to the podcast so. yeah i mean it, it's it's I'll give them that. Like, that's one of the things they do incredibly well is keep their characters and their movies in the public, um, you know, eye for decades, you know. So so we'll probably hear a lot more Star Wars in the future. But I, I have to admit, it is really cool to see Ahsoka because, like, you know, at the time, I remember when I was coming on to Clone Wars, Dave was explaining me the concept of the show. And it was like, there's this little known fact that Darth Vader, before he turned bad, when he was Anakin Skywalker, actually had a Padawan. And she was this kind of, uh, you know, uh, opinionated um, teenager, you know, and, and it, there was a, a little bit of a, what? That sounds so, it sounded so weird at the time. It sounds like, fan no, fiction you know. What's that? It sounds kind of fan fiction it does sound fan fiction-y, but um, now, you know, after working on the show, I, I kind of accept it. And it, there's times when I'm watching the old movies and I think it's sort of weird to think that that dude <laughs> once trained Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. But now that she's actually in Mandalorian and we're starting to fill in those blanks, it's becoming more and more like, oh, I like it's it's this is totally canonical or, or canon mm-hmm. and like. I'm really hoping, and I don't say this as, you know, an official statement. I want to be clear that it's not like Dave told me this and now I'm passing this info to you. <laughs> yeah. Merely a observation. But with an Obi-Wan series coming and an Ahsoka series coming, I'm assuming we're going to fill in a lot of those spaces. So it's it's really exciting. It sort of makes the um, that whole Clone Wars run like much more va- like valid, I guess, mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. in my mind, and I suppose in the fans. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, like, again, I'm pretty casual with Star Wars, but I am sure so totally excited with um, with Obi-Wan, and I'm just, because Obi-Wan's, like, the best, and he has the best memes, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Never forget the, I mean, the photos if, of Jesus, oh, and it's actually just you and McGregor. Yes. 
yeah, totally. There's actually my aunt has these little like tchotchkes on her um on her like fireplace, I guess, that I think is supposed to be it's like Saint Joseph or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there was this other little like it's, it was almost like an egg or something next to it. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was like a really ornate white and blue egg. And I was teasing her that it was Obi-Wan and R2-D2. <laughs> because it just, like, if you squint, it basically was them. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Uh, okay. Uh, we have one, like, a couple. Well, oh, no. I got disconnected from Skype. Uh-oh. Oh, did she cut out? <laughs> Give me a second. Like lost Rachel. Oh no. <laughs> uh, editor, don't worry. We're you. we'll fix this right now. Wow. <laughs> God damn it. Um, I guess I'll just leave it recording though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely right. keep recording. Uh, the show must go on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what we could t- talk, talk about was um, so I for now is what were some of your biggest takeaways from especially when you had all these experiences uh where you had multiple roles and were wearing a lot of hats in a lot of these respects um you you feel like that was like a lot of those experiences you were able to take with you on each each new project that you got to go on yeah definitely i mean i think it's one of those things that it, it just sort of happens in life in general um you know, especially in your career where you learn okay, things cool. in one job and you apply them to the next. And you also learn, uh, there's also bad working uh, habits uh, that I've seen on previous jobs that I'm like, I will not do okay. that. Can you guys hear me? Going forward. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Skype. Um, I, I told Lauren via Discord, which is the other chat service, but I could have texted her or whatever, but Skype crashed on me. So that was that was fun. Yes. <laughs> is it helpful? Do we do another countdown? You know, for. Oh, for no. Sinking? We can just kind of like pick, pick off and I'll like re ask the question and we'll go from there. Yeah. I, w- I was just open. asking him about uh, what some of the biggest takeaways he had from like, you know, being able to be versatile, wearing a lot of hats in his roles and what he was able to take with him to each. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess the good thing is having worked in traditional animation as well as CG and then having done comedy as well as action, um, it it starts to just make like my toolkit really, really big, I guess, Um, or or sort of... So it, what I what I like about that is there's a certain level of like job security that comes with that. So for example, you know, if there was a new sitcom coming out that's along the lines of Simpsons or Family Guy or something, I'm technically qualified to do that because I worked on King of the Hill in mm-hmm. the same way that I'm qualified to do an action show. But what I what I like to do is I actually like to mix genres. So um there are moments in Avatar, for example, where <clears throat> I'm doing some of my King of the Hill comedy shtick, you know, mm-hmm. and some of those like tricks that I learned from working on that show. Or when I'm working on Star versus the Forces of Evil, um, implementing some of my Avatar action knowledge to like uh, boost the action scenes in that show. So I, I kind of like doing that, like crossing um, skill sets. I think that that it's one of those things that just makes it a richer experience. And, you know, also as I'm getting older, um, getting more writing under my belt and more, um, you know, 
dabbling in character design, which I which I barely do. Uh, you know, it just just makes me feel like if you can do a little bit of everything, that's it's really powerful. But also, um, when I'm managing people, I'm not speaking out of turn. I guess you know, like mm-hmm. like make it look better. You know, there's a little more like I think that this could look better if you work on these three things that you can mm-hmm. do before three o'clock this afternoon and you know as opposed to you know giving vague instruction i guess <laughs> press the animation button <laughs> yes pressing the animation button <laughs> yeah i'm i'm sometimes i'm a little bit too vague um when i'm directing my own stuff so um i get yelled at by my board artists but i'm, I'm trying to you know it's a it's a learning process i guess it's definitely a challenge, and that's and that's a whole skill into itself of being able to describe very precisely what is not working, and it could be better if you do this, you know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, people, I'm realizing, I used to fear with artists that if I gave too hyper precise instruction, they would be frustrated because they want to just do their own thing. Mm. But I found that they like the freedom at first. But then when it's due and they just kind of want to turn it in and move on to their next assignment, yeah. they want the most precise direction you can give them. And, and I, um, because at that point, it's just like, look, just tell me what you want so that I can finish this and go home. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, that's been a trick that's worked well with me. You know, hopefully that's helpful is like you, you can be a little um, looser with the reins up front and then they get tighter as the deadline comes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I think that, and and that's kind of the thing. I mean, Lauren can attest to I kind of just let people do what they want because um, I run a volunteer team, so it's about, like, making sure people are getting the experience out of it that they want to. Um, right. But I think it's also, you know, same thing with COVID. People just want to have access to um, places where they can pr- practice animation or, their, you know, things where they can get better. You know, especially if you're not in a place to enter the industry yet, you know, it all depends on, like, you know, what you can do. And, you know, I think that's kind of the fun part because, like, you know, sometimes you kind of create this balance of people that just are happy doing what they want to do. And, you know, you can contribute. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of ramping, not ramping, but rambling on at this point. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, uh. yeah, it's what? a thing. And also people have different personalities too, which is which yeah. is tricky. You know, it's it's a little bit like puppies or something. You know, like <laughs> there's there's really playful ones and then really kind of standoffish ones and um, you know skittish puppies and or animators. So you have to kind of like, you know, be aware of that too. Like like sometimes um there's a lot of people in animation that are incredibly shy and quiet. Mm. Yeah, that can sometimes feel like they're unhappy or uninterested or not paying attention. Um, in some cases, that's the case, but a lot of times they're totally happy to be there, but it's just their personality. Um, there's also really conceited, you know, you know, people that can't stop talking about themselves, which I suppose is, is, is me a little bit on this podcast, but I guess that's why I'm here. You're, I mean, you're, a, you're on a podcast. It's, don't worry. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. socially acceptable. <laughs> um, and, you know, imagine like managing a mix of those while you're like trying to hit a deadline. So it's like trying to get the guy who talks too much to turn it off a little bit so that you can hear what the quiet person is thinking and doing incredibly accurate kung fu with a wide angle lens and it's due friday like you know it's it's it can be really like challenging yeah i i i definitely i mean i i mean i'm not in your in your professional 
shoes, really. I'm just kind of an amateur. But I, I get what you're saying as far as just kind of like herding the cats and making sure they all get along. And <laughs> yeah. <every kid. laughs> and, and especially what you do because you're you're turning in finished animation. Um, it, to a certain degree, I'll do, you know, for example, storyboards or something and then pass it off to animators who are much more capable than me and lighters and et cetera, that, uh, et cetera, that um, will make it look really polished. Mm -hmm. So I can pass the buck at a certain point. But mm -hmm. when you're working in an independent capacity, everything is sort of your responsibility. So, <laughs> you know, th that's, that's extra challenging. Like you, you're the person who goes, this is good enough. I, I'm signing off on it. It, it, it is now like you know, internet ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, but as well as there's not as much pressure because, like, if something is off model for a frame, like, you know, I don't have a studio, like, who's going to run down my throat, you know, saying, like, yeah. ah, re, you know, it's just kind of doing a project that makes everyone feel like it's in a professional capacity, which is still kind of challenging, but, you know, it's, I think it's all, a lot of it's just in my head as far as, like, this has to be perfect because I'm a yeah. good artist. So, you know. And I feel like that doesn't go away whether you're working for a studio or you're working by yourself. Like, it's, you know, that's that artist pride thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, I mean, that, like, a little segue, but I think that's kind of helped, like, just have the channel stand out on its own because, like, we're doing a little bit of everything and we're just, like, also, like, getting stuff done, which is a thing that, like, a lot of, you know, a fan produce media has a problem with they always like a lot of people just have these grand ideas mm -hmm. and they have these great fan fictions who are like and the, maybe the stories are great but like the execution they just don't know how to manage and you know understand yeah. and not that i've been the best of it but you know we made a trailer <sighs> the trailer looks really good and then the project never happens that's always yeah. what happened <laughs> that's a thing i mean there's a there's a case you could make that sometimes a really awesome trailer will get you you know, Netflix will, will, you know, call you and be like, do you have a show pitch attached to this? You know, the, sometimes that can happen, but I'm also really guilty of, like, I'm always planning some elaborate 80 volume graphic novel in my head. And it's just, it's too much pressure to put on any person. So mm -hmm. there, there's an art to like, just do like a 30 page one or do an eight page one or something that mm -hmm. feels like it has a beginning, middle and end and you can actually finish it and put it out there and see how people feel about it. Um, so there, there's a lot to be said about like a smaller scope goal for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, good good advice, good good podcast so far. Um, <laughs> so I was gonna see how your earlier experience, so King of the Hill and Avatar and how that kind of, kind of reigned into Star Versus and Dragon Prince, because those are very different uh, genre kind of shows. I mean, Star does a little, like, I mean, they both do a little bit of everything, but at the same time, like, one's mostly comedy-driven, and one is very, like, Avatar-esque, if you want to call it, and they have, like, right. Sokka VA, so I was just kind of curious how, you know, like, the career has kind of went along, um, I, I don't know, your, how it's all kind of worked out. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where every gig <laughs> sort of lead, uh, leads to the next one. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, because I knew Mike and Brian from King of the Hill, I went to Avatar. Because I knew Dave Filoni from Avatar, I went to Clone Wars. Um, my work on Clone Wars got me the gig for Green Lantern. Um, so, you know, a lot of these jobs kind of uh, flow into the next one. Mm -hmm. It's like a spider uh, web. <laughs> yeah yeah 
Star was an interesting one in that it was this rare time in the business where I watched the pilot episode on TV with my wife. And so we, you know, we're, we're both animation fans enough that we will sometimes check out the first episode of everything just mm-hmm. because we want to get that sampler. And we really liked the pilot episode. And I was like, is it me? Is this really funny? And she's like, me too. Like, like we, I really liked it. And then somehow within a month, I got asked to work on it. Wow. <laughs> and the, the way that it happened was um, Star came out and I think that the pilot had tested well or did well or something. Um, so Disney believed they had a potential hit on their hands. So they greenlit a season two and um, they needed to staff up because what can unfortunately happen in this industry sometimes is you finish season one and then everyone gets laid off mm. and then you get a season two and now you have to rehire everyone but you can't because they're already working on their next gig so you have to replace people so i was one of those replacement directors um and i interviewed with darren who was the show creator and um just kind of like vibed well like we seemed to sort of like like each other's sense of humor and i and i you know genuinely told her like I, I really like the pilot like I think you've got something really good here and it, it looks like a fun gig for me but I have to warn you that I've never worked on a show this wacky before so I'm a little worried that it it, it might not be a good fit but but I but I would like to try to do something like this and she um believed that I could pull it off so she brought me on and it was definitely a fun challenge on that show because Star is um, board-driven, which not you know mm-hmm. everyone, I suppose, knows what that is. But as opposed to getting a script assigned to you and then executing the script very like um, faithfully, you get an outline, which is a much looser sketch of what the episode is. And then the board artist actually writes the dialogue as well as storyboards it. And so I loved that challenge because um, I rarely got a chance to do that um, in the past. Uh, to to some degree, I did it on Green Lantern because I was show running it. But this was, you know, it felt more like making those storybooks and comics that I talked about, you know, in second grade where mm-hmm. you come up with everything. And so that was a really fun experience. Um, but then in the middle of it, this curveball that happened was some friends of mine were forming a animation studio um, video game company called Wonderstorm. And they called me and said, we really want to launch this um, TV show, like our flagship studio or flagship t- TV show called The Dragon Prince. And we need a seasoned animator who has show run before and managed teams and done CG will you join us? And it put me in this really awkward place because I was actually really happy on Star and I actually really liked working at Disney. Like like Disney's a very um, fun place to work in that there's always like cupcake parties mm. and like, you know, <laughs> mariachi bands. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those places. So I was like, I don't really want to leave, but um, they kind of dangled that carrot that I couldn't... Um, uh, refuse. So I left my job at Disney to go help on Dragon Prince. And, you know, uh, suddenly I was doing that for, you know, a number of years. <laughs> yeah. And Dragon Prince, I really like it so far. So, I mean, um, 
Lauren, have you seen Dragon Prince? Have you seen like bits and stuff? I've seen bits. I haven't I haven't watched full season yet, but I've been trying to make my way over to that. There's a there's so much I still have to catch up on. There's so much being produced these days. That's so. that that is a mood. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll spoil it. Go ahead. Oh no, you can you can Okay, you can I'll first. a slight spoiler if you haven't seen like season two with Dragon Prince, but I thought it was like relatively refreshing that you guys paired the couple up like before the show ended which um doesn't happen that often like i understand that it's like an arc beat that you know wraps up the story but you know i think people weren't really expecting um that to happen they just kind of assumed it would happen after the last episode like it always does so it's weird i mean i'm realizing i'm not sure why we do this as storytellers and i think that that people have been vocal about this online so it's making me question it but oftentimes the the romantic sort of hookup, I guess, <laughs> you know, the, the when they finally like confess their love for each other or whatever is played as the reward, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of a long journey. So you get that like last scene kiss between, you know, uh, whoever. Um, but it doesn't always have to play that way. I mean, I guess we sort of did that with Sokka and Suki and Avatar where they kind of became an item somewhere in the middle of season three, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, yeah. I'm trying to remember when that happened. And it was actually kind of nice to see them hang out as, you know, good, compatible, <laughs> you know, boyfriend and girlfriend. And, you know, it wasn't a big story point that they fought a lot or anything like that. They just, you know, they made a good couple. And um, th- there's less of that in storytelling. And it's not just animation. It's It's, you know, live action as well. And so it was... It made me think like, oh, it's it's not necessarily the worst thing to have a couple find each other in episode four and they just sort of go off on their <laughs> adventures together. So mm-hmm. it definitely makes me question like how we're approaching romance, I guess. Like it's not the worst thing to to do it earlier, I guess. Yeah, I think it's I think like I'm kind of split because I don't know if you know um Kim Possible history, but essentially um Kim and Ron were supposed to be paired up at the end of the show, and then the show got renewed without anyone realizing, and they're just like, oh, now what? <laughs> so, um, um, and it's like, it it also presents a new, like, you know, a new plethora of, of like, plot options, I guess, but also not making a bit too big of a deal about it, too. So, you know, I think, you know, I... I I think, you know, you can see um, either side, I guess, but I don't know. I thought it was just refreshing because, like, especially, like, for animation, you know, when it's kind of harder to tell how many more seasons you're going to get renewed for or how much, like, not that live action shows don't have this problem, too, but, like, usually they're cheaper, so it's a little bit easier to predict, but from my understanding, anyway. But, um, yeah, yeah, I just, you know, it was just relatively refreshing that I'm just like, oh, okay, we don't have to go through all this, woo, they won't they BS like for the whole show of five seasons it's it can get kind of taxing so it, it's it's definitely a tricky curveball when a show ends prematurely or when a show gets extended unexpectedly mm-hmm. <laughs> because what what we're all trying to do at least me anyway I suppose I can't speak for everyone but I like to tell a a, a complete story where it's like once upon a time there was a character and they wanted to do a thing, and this was in their way, but after a long journey, they pulled it off and lived happily ever after. But then another thing happened, and they had to, you know, like suddenly when you have to, like, 
but then some other thing happened that can feel awkward mm -hmm. because it's like, but I thought we got the happy ending. Why, why is there another thing? And that's usually because you had a hit show and the network or the studio said, we want to order more of these. So that can feel clumsy in storytelling. The other extreme, though, is once upon a time, there was a character and he really wanted a thing and this thing got in his wet. <laughs> and it just stops there because you got canceled, <laughs> you know, um, and that happened on Green Lantern, you know, where we had a, uh, you know, a, I can't math right now, a 52 season, excuse me, a 52 episode arc planned and we got cut off in the middle. So, you know, to this day, people um, message me on Twitter and say, when are you making more of that show? <laughs> and it's, it's hard to explain that it's not really up to me. <laughs> but that show basically ends in the midpoint of, of a larger, like imagine if, it, if uh, you're watching Avatar and Appa, or excuse me, Appa got kidnapped and the show ended. <laughs> like that's that's what happened on Green Lantern. Very like painful memory. <laughs> you know, like I just got interrupted. Oh, that's always like horrible. Oh, uh, is is that because of like the Ryan the the, the Ryan the, <laughs> the Ryan the movie? Reynolds? Yeah, the Ryan Reynolds movie failed. I I think so, and and I and I don't mean to blame him directly, uh, but. It's weird that from from like behind the scenes, Warner Brothers was, you know, they had a Batman movie under their belt. And I think Superman was in development and they were like, who's next? How about Green Lantern? <laughs> um, and so there was all this hype about making Green Lantern the next big character in their lineup. And so there was the Ryan Reynolds movie. There was a straight to video animated thing called, I think, Emerald Knights. There was a video game that was on, like, PlayStation and Xbox. And then there was an animated series, which is the one that I did. So they were mm -hmm. really leaning into this Green Lantern thing. And so when the movie came out and didn't do well, you know, never mind whether it was good or not. It's just the fact that people didn't really show up and pay money to watch it. Right. Suddenly, Warner Brothers was just, like, abandoned ship. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta burn all this stuff now. Yeah, where even the color green was almost an ugly word around the studio. Like they, they <laughs> wow. suddenly just did not, they were just like, move on, you know, let's do Wonder Woman instead or whatever, whatever, whatever their solution was. And so suddenly I remembered this distinctly. There was a point at the middle of Green Lantern where it felt like we weren't getting executive notes anymore because they just thought of it as a lost cause. And it was a blessing and a curse because now we weren't getting the overthinking, um, nervous notes that can sometimes happen mm -hmm. from like the, the higher ups. Mm -hmm. They just sort of vanished. So we did whatever we wanted. And the show got um, dark and, and intense in ways that we wanted. And it got really romantic and shippy in ways that we wanted. And there was no pushback because they, it was sort of off their radar. So it was this beautiful like heyday for a bit where we were doing whatever we wanted and the fans seemed to be really responding well to it. And then we started planning sort of the next order, like the next 26 episodes. And that's when it, the, you know, my, my boss came in and delivered the bad news that there would not be more. <laughs> and uh. we probably should stop, start 
um, job hunting. <laughs> it's like record scratch. Party's over. It's total record scratch. I mean, for the record, I suppose it's just, I kind of feel like confessing this. You know, I cried when that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's devastating. It's, it's yeah. a little bit like losing a loved one or like losing a pet or something, you know, like, um, and it sounds silly, you know, when when you say that because it's just cartoons but like you invest so much into getting these things off the ground Mm -hmm. and when it suddenly is ripped out from under you it's devastating you know and and so so think about that when you think of you know sometimes as fans we can be jaded or cynical and it's like oh good they canceled that crappy show i never liked anyway i promise you someone cried (laughs) someone you know that created it you know their life was ruined temporarily you move on you know and that's the the beauty of human beings that we're resilient and we 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 dust the dirt off our shoulder and move on but at at that stage it was very traumatic for for someone or for a group of people (laughs) yeah especially when so much goes into animation versus when you think about like with live action versus animation animation is made from the ground up from you know, from yeah. from thin air. Honestly, it's it's because it, everything is created with a purpose for for being there and being a part of the story. So it's like everything is created from your mind, from your imagination, and so and with that, it comes from passion as well. So yeah, it'd be incredibly hard. Yeah, I mean, right down to like the design of the bowls, you know, that that sit on the table or the, you know, everything is is a discussion that's had. And and also when you're show running, you start to get into this momentum where you're like constantly planning the future. So it's like season one is going to be good, but for season two, we're going to do this and this and this. And, you know, you're you're hiring writers and directors that will work on it and blocking stuff out. So it's it's not unlike, you know, expecting a baby. So you repaint the office so that it's now a nursery and you buy a crib and all that. And then all of a sudden there's no baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're reminded of by it, by this nursery that you have in your house. It, it, it's, it's really, there's a lot more to it than just finding out in the trades that a show got canceled. Mm-hmm, right. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty devastating. I'm not sure why I feel compelled to share this, but I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, there's cool parts of this industry where you're uh, editing your Clone Wars episode with George Lucas and his son. <laughs> and then there's the other side where, you know, there's heartbreak and um, and, and it kind of happens in these weird waves <laughs> all the time. So you, you just got to kind of roll with it. Yeah. And, like, that's something, too, that, like, as as millennials and, like, the streaming age has shown, like, you know, having shows end like that really sticks with, with people. And, like, you know, then the, the networks will get calls, like, 20 years later. It's like, hey, you know, we really, really want you to finish Hey Arnold or, you yeah. know, whatever it is. And, like, um, I think that's, like, personally my most refreshing, like, experience viewing all this from an outside perspective is just, like, people still caring about the thing you did, like, 10 years, 15 years ago. And are upset that you like it didn't close off correctly and you know just like still really want that closure and you know it 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 shows you like and that's kind of like the the same thing with going to conventions and stuff is like you know a lot of the creators who don't do that that often like get reminded by real people that their thing really like 
save their life or help them introduce them to their friends or, you know, whatever yeah. the case. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm making a difference and not just drawing doodles all day, you know? <laughs> Those stories are always like really, um, I can't articulate it. Like, I feel like sometimes people say it's humbling and I, and I suppose it's part humbling, but it's also, you almost can't wrap your head around it that like, there's people that tell me like, you know, they got self-esteem or they didn't have it or they went through like a really traumatic accident and they, uh, you know, affiliated marathoning the show through their physical therapy. It's like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to really, um, uh, I don't know, just like feel it, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and you almost don't know how to respond to it, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I also feel like, I also acknowledge that there's some, some shows that I do that are just like, ah, hey, you know, it sort of made me laugh every day after work. <laughs> and, and that's fine too. You know, there, there's like a small um, purpose to it and, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, and you know, that's kind of the beauty of it is you, you can kind of just, there's a lot of different tones that, you know, each show can take. But um, yeah, I think, I think we can wrap. I don't have any more questions. Um, Lauren, do you have any just general questions as someone... Who is just like listening? Most, I'm like, yeah, most I'm, of the time. I'm like, I'm vibing. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I I don't think I have any other questions. I guess maybe just uh, maybe a final maybe a final note of advice for people who want to get into the industry or people who are aspiring to get into the industry. Uh, maybe advice from from you to the audience from for who wants to pursue this. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's weird because the way that I got into the industry is slightly different than what I would tell people in the, in the um, you know, nowadays. Um, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> Something. <laughs> uh, so what I would say nowadays is what, what, what I used to do was I would draw all these things in the... Wait, hold on a second. Yeah, no worries. We've, we've, been, we've been talking for a while, so if you got a bathroom break... Yeah, I'm whatever. getting a little distracted things happening in the house. <laughs> um, but I, I, will, I will finish by saying this. Uh, so when I was... You know, the thing that, that trained me up was that I was doing all this drawing, um, you know, that was like storytelling and comics and stuff like that. And that's the, at the very base, that's what you need to do is like draw a ton and practice your storytelling chops. Mm -hmm. that, that's what's going to like get you through this. Um, back in the days, you know, it used to be like you'd make a portfolio and you'd have to ship it to the studios, <laughs> you know, and it was very expensive, you know, because sometimes it'd have to include like return address and like, um, you know, ship it to LA and then have it sent back to me. But, you know, nowadays with online portfolios and Instagram accounts, it's so much easier to just get yourself out there. Mm -hmm. um, I have on many occasions been sent someone's Instagram link and I just look at it and within seconds go, oh, they're awesome. Let's hire them. It's mm -hmm. literally that fast. So I, I really encourage people to draw a lot, follow people who are in the industry who post to their like production work or even their personal work. And you can kind of decode what they're doing, like the shape language they're doing, like, or the type of storyboards they post. And if you can replicate that um, to a certain degree where 
um, your work resembles theirs, you'll probably get noticed and get hired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we talk about all the pluses about the COVID, um, the COVID stuff and how it's kind of letting people um, work in a lot of different ways. But I think the, the negative too, unfortunately, is a lot of people like who are outside the industry don't have as many opportunities to network. And, you know, I think that can be really like, that's intimidating for me personally, who are just like, oh, I just, just waiting for COVID to be over so I can go back to LA. But, you know, I think, I think to your point too, it is easier just to kind of practice and get yourself out there too. And just like use, use this time to, to practice if that's all you can do. So. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, like I get that <laughs> we're living in a stressful time. So it's hard <laughs> to be productive. Mm-hmm. That, that There's a side to that too, but, um, that's you know, move. I feel like this is, it's a marathon, so it's not just um, do this now while we're home and there's nothing else to do. Like it's something that hopefully you're doing all the time, or, or excuse me, you know, not every waking hour of the day, but you're <laughs> you're you're always like noodling on something here and there, uh, so that you you're growing and you know the goal is to get better and to get noticed, or you know the opposite route. Um, that that's the kind of like how to get hired advice. The opposite route is just make your stuff and post it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I would advise on top of that, figure out a way to monetize it because Mm -hmm. at a certain point, it's just a hobby if you can't monetize it. And I think that that's cool and commendable, but if you want it to literally be your job, figure out some way where, you know, either you're charging, you know, some sort of Patreon account or you're making your t-shirts or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you can pay the bills doing your own work um, and not answering to these studios, that's (laughs) another form of bliss, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I think that that's a great goal to, to hit for sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also a good point. You like internet gives us a lot of options in general. Um, well, I I guess that's it for now. So thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so um, much. We had a lot of time. So and, and you're super sweet, and I appreciate that you took the time to to talk to us and inspire the masses. And I may say masses like maybe like a hundred people, depending on how many people <laughs> listen to this. So <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, my apologies that it took so long to finally get this going, but um, but we finally did it. Yeah, no. yeah, <laughs> we 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 definitely did it. I'm really glad <laughs> so we did. You, so it's like it, you've got my, uh, you know, my long old man <laughs> rants. Back in my day in humongous entertainment, we had copy paper. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. It, very, it dates me so much. Um, so, yeah, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for listening. We have a ton of episodes at this point. We're like almost to 50. So please feel free to listen. I try to be funny if you don't care about animation or we try to be so um you know hit or miss i guess <laughs> um new episodes on wednesdays um so thanks again and um i guess for the viewer listeners they're not viewers i mean i guess whatever whatever um uh, i guess for the listener uh we'll see you next time hypothetically <laughs> <laughs> it's a good night everybody <laughs> okay bye Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media. 
as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.